This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Stucky here. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Welcome back to this month's Chirp Audiobook Book Club Pick of the Month, which uh, from this week's topic for what we're going to be talking about, and I know it's a lot of fun. You probably have already seen it over the course of the YouTube channel. You have seen it uh, with all the varying shorts that we've been doing and the discussions in Discord. But this week is World War II. And it all comes down to I know I know that everyone when they're talking about history, the basic thing that gets pretty much every history person into stuff for history is either World War II or Rome in the West. And it's like, you know that when you see the Internet history guys and they're like, what are they typically obsessed with? World War II in Rome. Rome. Yeah, see, see, it, it literally. Is, oh, my God. Does this make you the stereotypical Internet history guy? Kind of. It does. Remember how we've done the videos where we've talked about things where you go like, oh, what's your favorite empire? Rome. And I look at that. And I go, God, I'm going to get criticized so hard for this. Oh, you're so basic. You like Rome. Yeah, go figure. It's really cool and expansive and has all this really interesting history associated with it. You're and from World Lexington, War II is so Kentucky. Defining. Basic is like your whole thing. Oh, gee, thanks. Thanks. Sorry. I had to. Yes, 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 you did. Okay, so what we are talking about today, the subject of today's book is dog company. Now, what that comes from is this group of soldiers who had to attack Point du Hoc, one of the points that needed to be seized back during D-Day. So while the focus of this book is over not even just the landings at Normandy, like this is not a book about Normandy. This is about a very specific point in Normandy that had to be taken because it was incredibly crucial and important that that specific strong point be taken. It was one of the vital things that had to be secured or else the entire landing could have been in jeopardy. There are very few times where something like that happens, but there are, how, how do I, I'm not even phrasing this right. There are certain points in battles where you have to have certain objectives that are met. And this is one of the ones that had to be saved, uh, had to be done for the sake of the operation. Interesting. I, you lost me. <laughs> okay. We're going to explain it because it's going to go a lot better than the little rambling that I have here at the beginning to try and explain this. Just start at the very beginning. Okay. Okay. So if we're going to start at the beginning, since we're talking about D-Day, Point du Hoc, this is a very prominent position along the coast of Normandy. This was a focal point. It was one of the main areas where the amphibious assault by U.S. forces during the early hours of D-Day on the 6th of June, 1944, 
had to occur. This is a high point, uh, a cliff top, which is sometimes referred to as Point du Hole, that is located between Utah and Omaha beaches and would sit atop overhanging cliffs 100 feet in height overlooking everything. Okay, so I know this is a trip book club pick of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, does, is it specifically over this? This specific battle. So now, it's like the Battle of the Tin Can Sailors, except. Yes. It's, it's kind of like what we did for that one company. with. Correct. Okay, perfect. Correct. So this is along those same lines. Because this I is not just covering. I haven't had time to read the book this month because you guys knew I quit my job. Well, I put in my two weeks and now I'm part time and it's a whole thing, but I have not had time to actually listen to this book. Yeah, but so, that last day was yesterday. That's the thing. From I know. the time we're recording this, that was yesterday. So on our flight tomorrow, I'm planning on listening to the book, but we had to record it today. Well, this is going to be a good setup for it because the story that I'm going to tell of this is kind of the battle that leads up to and the battle of Point Hawk, but it's not going to have nearly the same level of detail as what is in the book. So while this, this is effectively a tidbit that explains it, but... If you really want the details, then you have to check out the book, which the link for that is down in the description of the podcast. So you really need to check this out. And it's only like $3 right now, $2.99. So get an audiobook, really nice. Anyway, point to Hawk, very important thing. It is something that would require very careful and thorough planning in order to actually take it, as well as the entirety of Normandy, because the, the Norman, the invasion of Normandy would be determined, its success and its outcome by several different key missions that would have to happen in order to make sure that the rest of the invasion would go well. Like, for example, you have to make sure to see certain supply points. You have to take certain defensive positions because if you, if you land on the beaches, but you don't take the positions that are overlooking the beaches and your enemy has artillery up on a cliff that is overlooking the place where, where you're unloading all the boats, what do you think is going to happen to the people getting off the boats? They'll die. They are going to die. Exactly. They are literally sitting ducks for artillery in that position, which is why the capture of Point du Hawk was so incredibly vital. When Allied planners were planning this whole thing out, they named Point du Hawk as one of the most dangerous German defensive positions all along the German coast. And the Germans knew that this was p- position was valuable because very early on in the war, after they defeated France in June of 1940 and they occupied the entire northern part of the country. The Germans knew the strategic importance of Point du Hawk and the rest of these different positions around the beaches. And as part of their defensive system along the coast, which, you know, they had the massive Atlantic wall that stretched from southern France going all the way up into Normandy, that system of fortifications, bunkers, etc. It wasn't the literal wall, though in some cases there were walls for anyone who is confused. This is more like defensive strong points that are constructed at each individual section that is vital to the defensive integrity of their entire system. I don't even know how I could properly explain that. I would need to do an entire thing. The Atlantic Wall would probably be a great mega project to make a video on. I probably should touch upon that. But either way, all of this was under the direction and control of Field Marshal Erwin Rommel. They installed battery guns all along this. And on top of the cliff, there were a series of 155 millimeter pieces that were put on top of it. These guns would have a big range. We're talking something along the lines of 20,000 yards, meaning that at different strong points, if you put guns on one side and then guns on the other on a on another strong point, you would have complete overlook of the beaches all along it from Omaha and Utah 
and you could cover the entire thing with artillery fire. So from either side, as you landed, this just meant you could be pincered by, by artillery fire from both sides and crushed. This was a very key point that had to be taken. The Germans defended this with the 716th and the 352nd Infantry Divisions. And along with the artillerymen, Point du Hoc became this very heavily fortified bastion that the Wehrmacht would use to defend whatever they could along the beaches at the risk of thousands of thousands of casualties for any allies that were trying to land on them. Of course, that is not if it got taken first. So the allies are looking at this and they're planning on what they're going to be doing for the invasion. And they understood just how important the initial landing phase is when trying to get onto the beach. So that means that these defensive strong points have to be taken out. And the Supreme Allied Commander, General Dwight D. Eisenhower and his staff planning it, knew that they had to get special elite forces to go in and take out these points. So they assigned the Rangers of the 2nd and 5th Ranger Battalions under the direction of Lieutenant Colonel James E. Rudder with the mission of destroying these positions along the cliff. How did they plan on, so they were just going to sneak up there and take them out? Like, kind of, part of it. They, they, there was Call plans, of Duty? Sort of, okay. Here's the, here's, the, here's the thing. When you are looking at these things, you can't just make one plan. You have to make plan after plan in case plan A fails, which is the thing that we're going to talk about in here. Because the initial plan, you have to remember, these are on cliffs, right? So they're looking at this and thinking, okay, well, the normal protocol that you would have is to invade the beach. And then once you land on the beach, then you have to send a detachment force up, like into the interior, circle around and go after the cliff, right? Right. Or you could sail forces up and then scale the cliffs themselves, like rock climbing, get to the top and take them out with special forces. Okay, so their plan was to scale the wall. Yes, this like 90 to 100 foot cliff to just send the soldiers up it. Right. And take them out. Of course. Logical. Yeah. Did that. Is that what they did? That was the plan. Did it work? Uh, That's the story that we're going to tell. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, I just see a little tidbit for you, but that's what we're telling. Yes or no could end the entire episode right now. No, I'm not going to do that. Basic yes or no. I'm not going to do that. Okay, I'm so not gonna do that. did they at least have those cool things like in um, video games and movies where they hit the button and it just kind of lifts them up so they don't actually have to climb? Like with repels? That yes. kind of thing? No, they did have rocket powered or uh, like they had guns that would fire like hooks that they would uh, have to, you know, climb afterwards. But no, we're talking about ladders, like rope ladders that they would How have to go How did they choose the soldiers that had to do this? Did they just go, okay, we hate you all enough to let you die? No, they were rangers. I don't know what that is. Okay, so if you're talking about a division of force, the Rangers were special forces that were trained specifically for these kinds of operations. It wasn't just standard soldiers. It wasn't just like a bunch of privates uh, as part of a standard battalion. These were ones who were trained specifically for these special operations, and we're going to explain how in a little bit. Okay, continue. Now, the funny part about it is that the, the defenses of this point, even though it was very valuable, right? The Germans genuinely did not believe that this was going to be an accessible point, that they wouldn't be able to go after it. So it wasn't as heavily defended as it could be. Now, the Americans didn't know this when they were planning everything out, but they considered that even though some might say that it was going to be a suicidal attack, that they could reach it if they had a well enough trained force that was supplied. Soldiers would be able to land on the narrow beaches below at low tide and then ascend the cliffs with the assistance of ropes and ladders. That was the idea behind it. The 
when I was doing the research for this episode, there were a lot of different things for diaries and statements that came from individual soldiers and commanders regarding the operation. And I had to put a few of these in here because they were just hilarious when I came across them. Uh, I'll, I'll give you it as an example. When the lieutenant was told, uh, or sorry, when Rudder was told of what his assignment was going to be, he couldn't believe that it was actually something that he was being ordered to do, right? He was shocked. He was absolutely shocked. There was an intelligence officer on the staff of Rear Admiral John H. Hall or John L. Hall, and he had written that for these cliffs, three old women with brooms could keep the rangers from climbing that cliff. A bunch of the staff that was looking at this and going, yeah, we know it's important to take, but this is basically suicide because if you have even a slightly competent force defending this, there is no way that it will be taken. It would require a stupid amount of luck and skill in order to be able to do it. So now here we go to D-Day. But before we do that, ad break. Hey everyone, Sakuya here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. So regarding D Day. This was the plan that was supposed to go down. Rudder and his force from the 2nd Ranger Battalion was made up of 225 soldiers. And this was along with Lieutenant Colonel Max Schneider and the 5th Ranger Battalion in support. They would carry out the mission to scale these cliffs before dawn on that day and neutralize any of the enemy positions atop Point Du Hoc. Rudder, who had commanded the 2nd Battalion since the 1st of April 1943 was largely going to be the one responsible for developing the plan for his rangers on D-Day. The idea of this plan was that they were going to use a force consisting of three different groups, these being in the form of Force A, B, and C. Force A would consist of companies D, E, and F, the 2nd Ranger Battalion, and they were supposed to land just below Point Du Hoc. The assault team would then come ashore in a group of nine British crewed landing craft assault boats. These are LCAs. Each one of them would carry 22 men each. And also with the LCAs, they would have other amphibious vehicles that were equipped with extension ladders, which is a very funny little detail when I found this here. Do you know where those extension ladders came from? Where? They came from the London Fire Department. I love that. 
Like, what you, was the London Fire Department doing for ladders at this point in time, though? Were well, they just cool with not having ladders for a little bit? I mean, to be fair, you, I, I actually don't know the story as to Some how exactly they got them. may die, but that is a sacrifice they were willing to make. That is funny. I don't know. I don't know what the story behind them getting those Maybe ladders are. Maybe they had extra ladders? Well, they could. I it hope also, they kept at least one. You have to think. The bridge. Remember the bridge? It did burn down. And I'm sure there was a great fire of London. So. Oh, oh, London Bridge. Yeah, did it London actually bridge. burn down? Well, there have been multiple times where that happened. Yeah. Oh, so I would have kept at least two ladders <laughs> just in case. Okay. <laughs> Stop. So, Stop making fun of me. Listen, all I'm thinking of is <laughs> the reason why they would probably have to do this is because the British at that time, they weren't exactly well equipped in terms of resources. They didn't really have much. So everything could be conscripted at that time. Like you would, you would take whatever material you could and throw it into the war effort in order to be able to do anything. So I find it hilarious that they got these ladders specifically from the London fire department. It's such an amusing thing, but these things were supposed to accompany force a companies E and F would land on the Eastern side of point Duhok and company D would land on the West, right? Additionally, a 12-man fire support group comprised of U.S. Navy personnel and a forward observer from the 58th Armored Field Artillery Battalion were supposed to accompany Rudder's headquarters. Lieutenant Colonel Schneider with the 5th Ranger Battalion, along with companies A and B, the 2nd Ranger Battalion, these guys were not going to go in immediately. The idea that they had, what they were supposed to do, was to keep back, remain offshore, for about 30 minutes or so. Meanwhile, what they were doing was waiting for a signal from Rudder's force, which would have them follow Rudder's assault team ashore. The idea was that they would go in to secure the point afterwards, or if it was worse, if Rudder's mission to capture the whole thing failed, then it would become the mission of Schneider to actually capture it. And in order to do that, if the cliffs had failed, that means they wouldn't be able to go in and do that. They would have to go around the long way and attack via an overland route. The thing that they wanted to avoid. Oh, I'm incredibly stressed. Yeah. But at least they had multiple checks and balances, I guess. No, you have to. Because if one pl- if you don't create a, what is the word that I'm looking for? Worst um, case scenario plan? I mean, yeah, that, no, that is correct. That was entirely correct. But there was a specific word that I'm trying to... I'm having a brain fart right now. I just cannot remember what it would be called. What does it feel like to be a normal person for once? What do you mean be a normal person for once? That's me. You don't I'm a normal remem- guy. Uh, normal people don't remember everything. Okay, I don't remember everything. You know that I from me in our home life. I have a whole science degree. I work as a scientist. If you asked me one thing about biology, I'd be like, hold on, y'all. I got to Google this. Yeah, Okay. I have to do research when talking about this stuff. I just don't know everything off the top of my head and pull it out of my butt. It does not work. You seem like you're pulling it out of your butt. I'm just no, saying. That's just how I sound. I just <laughs> sound like that. Okay. That is, that is my voice. That is my cadence. And that is my ability to talk because I get very excited when talking about this stuff. Cause I think it's cool. Okay. So what was it? Okay. Okay. So force B led by captain Ralph Gorenson. And this was comprised of company C second ranger battalion and i think there was another one but i can't quite remember these guys had their own job that they were supposed to do their plan company c was to land on omaha Charlie beach that was just to the right of where the 116th would be landing and upon reaching omaha 
Force B was supposed to climb the cliffs of Pointe de la Perse. Like Pointe du Hoc, Pointe de la Perse played, it was, a, it, was a, it was a region that had a bunch of German strong points. And this was requiring the Rangers of Company C to destroy them. Like they had to take out these points or else everything could be threatened. Perse was located just about three miles to the west of where Force A would land at Pointe du Hoc which would require approximately a climb of 90 feet. And following their ascent up Pointe de la Perse and the destruction of any of the enemy positions atop the cliff, they were supposed to move east along the cliffside towards Pointe du Hoc, destroying any kind of enemy positions that they ended up finding. Just anything that could potentially be a threat they had to take out until they would eventually link up with their other forces. So due to the uh, nature of this mission, Right. This was going to be hard. This was something that was going to be requiring the utmost care and preparation for. And they're going to be mountain climbing, not even mountain climbing. They're going to be scaling cliffs, right? They're going to be doing all of this climbing under conditions of battle where they are potentially getting shot at. And it's not good. So that means that they're going to need to be as skilled and efficient as possible, which means that climbing is going to need to be a major feature of their training. So they're going to spend a lot of time learning and practicing and reviewing climbing techniques and just getting used to it to make sure that they were ready and in shape for what a lot of people were looking at this time and going, okay, this is basically a suicide mission. We have no idea if this is actually going to work and it probably won't. So they were receiving some training from British commandos, but then also at the same time, just they would just spend a whole bunch of time climbing in preparation. It's like, imagine that you're, you're, you're training here for it's like, oh yeah, are we going to go on a 10 mile run? No, you're going to go on a mile long climb. You're going to climb up, then back down, then up, then back down, then up, then back down. And you're just going to do that again and again and again and again. Trial and error, baby, just doing whatever they could in order to prepare themselves for just having to climb. Because when it actually came to the point, literally their lives were going to be at stake. So my question to you, and it's a little bit of a spoiler, but yes, do they live? Some of them do. Some of them do not. I'm not going to say how many. You're looking at me weird right now, but I'm not spoiling I'm any of I'm trying not to say swear words at you. <laughs> okay, continue. A decent number of them lived. A decent number of them did not. Okay, we're going to keep it at that. You are literally the, like, if no spoilers were a person, like, you know, on Discord, if you send something and it's marked spoilers. You're that right now. Yeah, yeah. My my whole thing is I ended up usually talking way too much and I'm not spoiling you for how this ends. Okay, well, tell it faster. I'm literally dying to hear it. Okay, all right. So they, as I said, trained by trial and error, right? And the Rangers would practice with all different kinds of tools, with different ropes, ladders. They had rocket-fired, like, grapple-equipped ropes that these would become the primary tool that they were going to use to ascend the cliffs of Point Hawk. And in the weeks leading up to D-Day, they were training all of their skills on all the varying different cliffs along the, uh, along the English coast and on the Isle of Wight. So we fast forward. Point of no return. At 4.45 in the morning on the 6th of June, companies D, E, and F, along with the 2nd Ranger Battalion of Force A, they all boarded their designated LCAs and they went out into the ocean for an hour-long ride to their point, 
riding in the different landing craft was it wasn't a good experience. All right. This sucked. It is early in the morning. It is rough. It is cold. And a bunch of rangers over the course of just trying to get there in the first place became seasick. Uh, the others, because the waters were so choppy and it kept on sending water into the votes, they had to go and try and bail out a bunch of water in order to try and keep it afloat. One of the LCAs actually capsized, which meant that the assault team was heading in with 22 less men than they initially planned. Mind you, they have not even reached the point of getting shot at yet, and they're already down 22 men out of 225. That, those, that doesn't sound very good. No, it does not. Not very promising. No. So it's 6.45 in the morning. As the men of Company C started to land on the shore of Omaha Beach, they immediately get bombarded by artillery fire. Before they even have a chance to make it to shore, the lead craft ahead of them gets hit by artillery fire, and the company loses 15 men. Boom. Gone. Like that. A second LCA also ends up getting hit with fire, and the 15 men that are on top of, or in that craft also get either killed or wounded. They're knocked out. So 30 gone, just like that. About 10 minutes or so after the landing of Company A, the 116th Infantry Regiment, the 29th Infantry Division, and the remaining Rangers of Company C start to land and fight their way towards the base of the cliff in order to begin climbing 90 feet up to get to Pointe de la Perse. And upon reaching the base of the cliff, Captain Ralph E. Gorenson realizes that out of his original 70-man team, only 35 of them are left to climb to the cliffs. They have lost half their number. By nightfall, that number was going to fall to 12. So upon reaching the clifftop, the rangers immediately began to patrol outwards, knocking any enemy strong points they could off the cliff and moving their way towards the other rangers of the 2nd Battalion at Point du Hoc. But before we get into their part, we have to uh, go and have an ad break. Because I'm realizing I'm just getting into this and I'm going faster and it's just keep on happening because there's going to be more action. And I have no idea where it is that I can stop because there is no stopping points in all this. It's just You're go, just go, go, baby. Go to an ad break on a cliffhanger. Ad break. <laughs> I hate you. Everybody shush. William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Okay, so other side of the map, right? Wait, I'm, t I'm talking like it's Battlefield at this point. It kind of is with how everything is occurring in terms of operations, but I don't want to dumb this down to like a video game. So while the Rangers of Company C were already fighting or not already fighting, but climbing the cliffs on Point de la Perse, Rudder's Rangers were not actually at the point that they were supposed to be yet. Here's the problem. While their time to start was set for 630, as early as the morning sun could rise, 
the Rangers of Force A realized that something was wrong because the cliffs that they had actually came up to were not Point du Hoc. It was Point de la Perse. The waters were way too choppy and the current was so strong that the Rangers had to travel, or not had to travel, but they were forced three miles off course from their actual objective, what they were supposed to go after. So the timing of the entire plan was screwed. I don't remember if you said this before, but do those two points connect? Yeah, remember, these? Um, it was about three miles apart because these are the two individual strong points. So they have to take Point de la Perse and they have to take Point du Hoc. And while they split the forces to go after either, the force that was supposed to go after Point du Hoc has found itself also in front of Point de la Perse. We'll just take one point and didn't use that point to take the other one. No, well, see, that's what we're going to have to get into. So once they were finally back on track and behind, they were way, way, way behind on schedule. The naval ships that were watching the landing, they were responsible for laying down covering fire. They would lay down as much battery artillery fire as they could upon these points in order to, you know, soften up the enemy and allow them to land with no trouble. But because their whole thing ran behind, they did not land on the beach until 7, 10 in the morning, 40 minutes after they were supposed to be there. So the cover fire was laid down, but they weren't there to actually do anything. So it stopped. The covering fire stopped at 625 that morning, which meant that the five minutes they were supposed to have for the enemy to start going back to their positions. The Rangers were already supposed to be on the beach and heading up. Did they have any way to radio back to the ship to say, hey, no. besties? No. No? No. No. Okay. Nothing they could do. So they're just going to have to. They had to just go forward with ship. the plan. Like exactly. just die. For lack of a better term, they were fucked. Exactly. So the delay of that gave the Germans enough time to recuperate because remember, they were getting bombarded by all this fire and then get back to their defensive positions and then lay down gunfire on the Rangers as they were approaching from D, E and F. So the Rangers, now at this point, not able to follow the original plan, had to land all companies to the east of Point du Hoc on a strip of beach around 500 yards long and 30 yards wide and go from that direction. Could they not just turn back and be like, um, nope. can we reach nope. restart? They were there. They had to go. You had to launch the plan. Awesome. Had to happen. Awesome. So they came under heavy fire from the Germans while they were coming ashore. And as the soldiers at the front were exiting the craft, the Rangers to the rear had to fire upwards at the cliff in order to try and force the Germans to take shelter from the fire to give them um, the, the, well, the ability to move. So they were laying down covering fire. They were laying down their own suppressive fire. Yeah, they had to lay down their own form of suppressive fire because they no longer had the guns from the naval ships to actually do anything. Here's the thing. These LCAs are not exactly the most sturdy of things, right? They're very basic craft and they are equipped with grapple-tipped rockets, right? that they can use to try and launch up these ropes in order to start their scaling process. The first rope that they had, the first set, was made of these three-quarter inch ropes, and another of them, like some of the other systems they had, had ropes with short pieces of wood called toggles, and the last thing that they had were rope ladders. There was no automatic system that was going to allow them to just scale up the cliff like that. Each one of them had two portable rockets and lightweight rope, and that was it. This was supposed to then be carried ashore by the Rangers and fired from the beach. But because of the choppy seas and all the seawater and everything that they experienced, all the climbing ropes that these things had inside these vessels that were not the most sturdy, they were wet. They were wet. They were soggy. It increased their weight. 
It made it difficult for the rocket fired ropes to actually make it to the cliffs because now these rocket propelled things no longer have the power necessary to get a lot of those ropes up to the height that they're supposed to. So some of the ropes that actually caught the cliffs then end up getting cut by the Germans. And though many of the ropes never ended up catching hold or getting cut, there were still enough to allow the Rangers to scale the cliffs, but it was now in way smaller numbers that they had anticipated being able to do so from the beginning, which meant that their forces were going to be concentrated in an area that was going to make them much more. Um, what's the word that I'm going to use here? Sitting ducks for getting fired upon. They were nice targets, basically. That's Not- awful. Yeah. Now, luckily, luckily, the Rangers were also assisted by the fact that the naval and air bombardment that had been launched did knock off entire portions of the cliff that they were supposed to be scaling. So there was this massive pile of rubble about 40 feet in height, which meant that of the what, like 100 feet that they were supposed to go, they were able to just travel 40 feet up by climbing that pile of rubble and then laying a ladder against it on the cliff face. And that made the climb upwards from there way, way easier because now instead of 100 feet, you only had 60 feet to go. Now, on the other hand, the ladder equipped uh, other vessels like those ones that had the, uh, the the stuff from from the London Fire Brigade. They could not maneuver across the beach, and so they didn't have any way to actually contribute to scaling the cliff. So they were just pointless. They weren't able to do anything. Now for the actual climb. The Rangers had a lot of difficulty climbing up the cliffs. A lot of the ropes that actually did catch a hold of the cliffs in the morning ended up being completely covered by enemy fire, making the number available for climbing limited. They weren't able to get as many out there as they wanted to. As I said, the wet ropes that were waterlogged with seawater were slippery, not to mention it wasn't just the ropes that were waterlogged, right? The soldiers also at the same time being thrown about in the choppy oceans. It's not the conditions initially that they had just trained for. They were being held down because their uniforms were damp. They were covered in mud, all this water. So everything weighed way, way, way more heavily. At the same time that this is happening, that they're heavier than they were used to trying to climb up, the Germans are raining down bullets and grenades and everything they can from above. Despite all of this, the Rangers still do manage to climb to the top of Point du Hoc while under fire and several German soldiers get killed and others are driven off of the cliff as they get forced back by covering fire from the Rangers below. Once they reach the top, though, everything changes because all of the planning, everything that they had tried to prepare for when they were looking at it, because mind you, they have aerial reconnaissance photos. They have all this stuff. They know the landmarks they're searching for. They know all of this. All that is gone. How? Remember the artillery fire or not artillery, the naval fire from before? Yeah. So prior to D-Day, like the actual landing of the soldiers, the, the shore all along the coast is getting massively bombed by aircraft, by naval forces, by whatever you can imagine, it is getting bombed. So any kind of recognizable landmark that would have been there is wiped off the face of the earth at this point. It is just piles of rubble and concrete and everything. There is no way to actually really distinguish what is what while up there. Or at least say no way. It's way more difficult than what they had initially planned. Anything that would have been there has been turned into a crater or rubble, pretty much. The plan for Operation Overlord prior to the landings 
was that there was supposed to be this massive airstrike campaign, as I said. This occurred from the 25th of April, the 21st to the 22nd of May, and the 4th to 5th of June. And these would be followed by naval gunfire from the battleship, the USS Texas. Remember the one? Remember the story? Remember the story about where the Texas? Leaned. Yeah, where they leaned. <laughs> oh, the classic one. It's repeated everywhere all over the internet. For those of you who don't know, who have somehow not heard this story. And because- if, okay, after we tell this story and after you listen to this episode, go find the fat electrician's video on the USS Texas. He tells it in a really funny way. Oh, yeah. He tells it in a great way. It's awesome. The gist of it is that uh, they flooded part of their ship because the only thing that limits a battleship's range is the power of its guns in the first place and also the angle of its guns. So because because a gun can only like one of these naval batteries can only raise up to a certain height. So past that point, the gun cannot shoot further because it cannot be angled into the air higher. So they flood part of the ship to tilt it into the water, which in turn raises the angle of the guns higher. So they're able to hit targets way further inland than they're actually supposed to be able to, which is hilarious. And the USS Texas was one of the things that was contributing to all this. So, okay, okay, all this is happening. Back to the Rangers, though. So according to the original assault plan, Force A was supposed to land at 630 in the morning. That was the initial idea. And this would leave Schneider and Force C to wait offshore and wait for the signal that was supposed to follow the three companies of Force A ashore by 30 minutes. That's it. They were supposed to follow him after to time it right. If no signal was received by like by 7 a.m., Schneider was then instructed to land his force at Dog Green sector of Omaha Beach and attack Point Du Hoc by land assault. Didn't you say that was the worst way to go in? Yes. Because it was just open beach. Yes. And remember, the actual force did so not Schneider land. So Schneider is just screwed. So he would just go ahead because they'd landed 45 minutes late. So they landed at 7, 10 a.m. Exactly. So Schneider wouldn't know that. So he'd just be like, nope, okay, they had boys. no way to communicate. Why didn't they have any way to communicate? Well, they, they, didn't, they didn't have the ability. Like, they couldn't radio anything in. They didn't Why? have anything Why that was didn't set they up. have a radio? I'm so sorry. I'm not following. Once they actually landed ashore and then they were able to set up radio communications, by then it was way too late. You, you wouldn't be able to do anything at the point that they were at. I am. It, technology was not the same then so as it is Schneider now. So Schneider just got completely murdered. We're going to explain. I hate you so much. <laughs> at least you didn't say, and now time for an ad break, because I would actually physically fight you right now. Don't and now do it's time it. for an ad break. You monster. <laughs> I'm unsubscribing. I just decided. <laughs> ad break. So Schneider. I'm literally so mad at you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so mad at you right now. I know. I know you are. Okay, continue. So Schneider. Schneider and his force are waiting this entire time for the signal. It never comes. They even wait past the 7 a.m. mark that they were supposed to launch everything from. Still no signal. So Lieutenant James W. Ike Eichner, who was the communications officer for Rudder's 2nd Battalion, he had developed a communication plan. Once they were atop the cliff, Eichner and his communication team would use a series of mortar flares and deter- like predetermined radio signals in order to alert Schneider and his force to land and begin their climb to the top. But by 7.13 a.m., Rudder's communication team was working very quickly to get their communication radio set up. Eichner, along with Rangers Lou Lisko, C.S. Parker, and Steven Lisinski, 
they would then try to work to get a line of communication by way of radios going. And around 7.25 a.m., the code word TILT was then radioed to Schneider's forces and acknowledgement was received. At the time, though, we don't actually know who sent the acknowledgement signal. There is no really indication on Schneider's end of whether or not that signal had even been received from Rudder. We don't know. And the, the message that they had ended up receiving at 7.15 was pretty much unintelligible. The only word that they could actually make out was Charlie. So, because they had no idea what was actually happening, Schneider had to go forward with the contingency plan. That was the word I was trying to remember. He had to go forward with the contingency plan and then lead Force C to Omaha, you where they would have said, to storm the beach and attempt to reach Point to Hawk by overland. I hate that for him, but you could have also just said backup plan. Yeah, I could have said backup plan, but contingency was specifically the thing that I was trying to remember. So here we go. Omaha Beach, four sea lands at Viville Sumer. The first two waves of Schneider's force take very heavy fire upon their approach to the beach. So seeing this, Schneider has to divert the rest of his men to land just a mile to the east landing between Dog White and Dog Red sectors. Despite the fact that there was very intense artillery fire coming down on their approach, 13 of the 14 LCAs actually managed to land safely with the 5th Ranger Battalion only suffering six casualties. Considering what they had to go through, it's genuinely very lucky that that happened. So then they have to fight their way all across the beach, over the seawall, and the battalion was directed by the 29th Division to stay and help establish a beachhead instead of moving forward with the original plan of pushing towards Point du Hawk. The 1st Platoon, Company A, 5th Ranger Battalion, they became separated from the rest of the Rangers. And with no way to actually establish contact, they had to set off on foot to connect with the Rangers at Point du Hoc. The rest of the 5th Ranger Battalion would remain at Viverville or Viverville overnight in order to defend the right flank of the beachhead against any possible German counterattacks that were going to come down upon them. So if we go back to Point du Hoc, where the original landing was supposed to take place, the Rangers of Force A at this point had formed into small groups and they were going after each one of the objectives atop of the cliff. They were eliminating any of the observation posts, any of the guns, anything that they could find. Now, here's the thing. When they were initially planning all of this out, in the initial stages of the mission, each gun that was atop the cliff had a specific number that they were assigned, right? So that they knew what they were searching for because they had scans of all this, not scans, but like pictures so they could identify it. Company D had the task of eliminating guns number four, five, and six. Um, these were all the ones that were on the west side. Uh, Company E was supposed to destroy a couple others on the other part. Uh, Company F had to destroy guns number one and two, any of the anti-aircraft guns that were on the eastern sector. They had all the different things that were planned out. But interestingly enough, right, as the Rangers started to take their first prisoners and then send them back to the cliffs of the narrow beaches where they had initially landed, they went back to attack the German positions and they did take out a bunch of German machine gun nests and take out a number of the concrete bunkers using grenades and bazookas. But what they ended up realizing is that this strong point, this German strong point that was supposed to be one of the most vital defensive things that had to be seized was almost entirely fake. It was fake. How was it fake? The guns that they had on top of it, all that stuff from aerial reconnaissance, 
a whole there while there were still defensive positions that were atop there the majority of the guns that they found were not actually real guns they were made of telephone posts that had been painted to look like guns so that any reconnaissance photos that were atop of it would mistake them for guns as a kind of threat they were dummies so they had to go take out the actual guns now correct but they didn't really know where those were because everything was different correct so they were just kind of just correct. like hoping. Now, luckily, you from just this, said correct, and I didn't actually finish my sentence. Okay. So, luckily, from the thing, because those guns were not on top of it, when they landed, this meant that the guns were not actually firing down upon the enemy positions. During all of those bombing runs that had occurred before, the guns were moved away. So the guns weren't destroyed before. What they did is that while the guns were moved back to a safer position, they didn't immediately overlook the beach. Now, but luckily for the Germans, at least the guns were not destroyed by the naval fire or the bomb or the aerial bombardments or any of those things. That's why they moved them away in the first place and replaced them with telephone poles. And this is why modern day satellites would be so much more useful. Yeah. But even then, even then with modern satellites, or you'd drones, still, you still have ideas of what it could be. Strike it. I don't know how a drone strike works, but I'm assuming it's like, <laughs> have you seen in Arkansas where there's like drones that deliver like your groceries now? It's on a trial period, so you can order like... That sounds like it's going to end in so many horrible right. things. So you order it on walmart.com and then a drone flies over your backyard and just like parachutes down <laughs> your groceries at you. Um, that's what I'm assuming a drone strike is like, but I wouldn't know. God, when you say don't cry over spilled milk, but the spilled milk fell from 300 feet in the air and hits your dog. No, no, no. <laughs> no that's awful. No, the drone just kind of goes a little bit low. I'm assuming somebody's flying the drone, I hope. So they won't hit your dog, right? <laughs> yeah, you'd hope so. You who do, go, okay. who do you, I ask about this? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying this right now, Gabby. I want you to think about this. Imagine a person who is so angry with their job, they hate it and they want to quit and they're controlling that drone. Oh, Who's no. to say that they don't decide to just do something really stupid Nobody's as their last F dog, you to the company though. before quitting? Nobody's going to hurt a dog. You though. say that, but we're talking about humanity and history and with the stories that we have gone over, I know, I don't care necessarily about the... The scenario I'm talking about with the dog, it could be anything. You don't know what they're going to do. You're giving people an option to be awful. And if history has taught me anything, it's that people are going to choose to I mean, be awful sometimes. I feel sometimes. like if they had to choose something, they'd crash land into somebody's Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, that probably could happen. And you'd be like, oops, company, company liability, my bad. Yeah, yeah. No, that could definitely be one of the things. I I'm don't know. Saying, it's better than going after the dog. What well, did dog do? But Mercedes, I mean. But Mercedes. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, ironically, at this time, if we're talking about German companies back during World War II. We oh, were... right. That's where. Oh, we got off track. Yeah. Sorry. I was saying they could just drone strike the positions in modern day. Yeah, in modern day. Exactly. But they weren't able to do that here at this time. So now knowing that all these guns are gone, right? The Rangers have to regroup and set out under sniper fire. Uh, like machine gun fire, artillery fire, like everything is trying to get them at this point, but they have to leave and go after the artillery at whatever locations they're at now. So in addition to trying to locate those guns, the Rangers now have to move inland towards their secondary mission, which is establishing a roadblock along the coastal road that connected Grand Camp and Virville. The Rangers then had to set up defensive positions and wait for the arrival of the 116th Infantry advancing inland from Omaha Beach. During this time, they end up getting joined by three paratroopers from the 101st Airborne Division who had landed far from their drop zones that they were supposed to get, like 15 miles away. But luckily, they found some of their own soldiers. 
At around 9 a.m., a two-man patrol from Company D, consisting of First Sergeant Leonard Lommel and Staff Sergeant Jack E. Cunn, they end up stumbling into a camouflaged gun position around 250 yards south of that coastal highway. And you know what they find there? What did they find? Five of the six missing guns that they were looking for. Those big 150 millimeter guns. They never actually ended up finding the sixth one, but the fifth one that there are the, the other five they found there, along with a huge amount of ammunition. So with Kuhn covering him, Lommel goes to work destroying the guns. He ends up destroying uh, a group of them in different ways, right? He places thermite grenades in the gun's recoil mechanisms, which once that goes off, the heat is so intense that it fuses the parts together, which Gabby, we're talking the recoil method, right? So if you fire the gun, it's supposed to, you know, kind of go backwards and recoil so that it absorbs the shock. But if you set off the thermite and you fuse the metal together, you fire that gun, the entire thing is going to just explode. Like it will move, it'll creak and it will just break or outright just not work at all. After smashing the sights of the third gun, Lommel then goes back to friendly lines to try to get more thermite grenades. But when he comes back, he finds that a second patrol from Company E had already found the guns and finished the job. So they were dead now. Not not the Rangers, but the 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 guns. They were removed. They were they were done. So the Rangers returned to their lines, but not before tossing grenades into the powder charges and just setting off the whole thing in a massive fire. Which is the sum of cool guys don't look at explosions, but I don't know if they watched. They probably did because it was really, I would have loved to have seen it. It looks, it sounds really cool to have seen. So then they send off a runner to let Lieutenant Colonel Rudder know, because by this point he had moved his command post to the top of the cliffs. And he gets word then that the guns, the main goal and the focus point of his assault on Point Duhok, that they had been located and they were done. So Point Duhok gets taken. They actually succeed. Now, what the about is, the other point? Ah, see, he, see, here's the thing. If you want the rest of the story from all of this, and I know you're looking at me, you're looking at me with such hatred in your eyes. This is the story Are leading you... up to point to Hawk. Yes. Are you kidding me right now? No, you wouldn't I'm not. Do this. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Why would you do this? I'm doing it. I don't have all the time in the world. I have to edit podcast on the plane tomorrow. Yeah. Catch up on sleep. Yeah. I can't listen to the entire book in one flight. Uh, you might be able to. Who knows? Not with you talking my ear off. Ah, uh, no, I'm going to sleep. Don't worry. I'm going I'm to have a good night's rest knowing that I did this to you. If you want the rest of the story, no. since this is the first one that you haven't actually read. Don't you dare. Then you're going to need to get the audiobook from Chirp Audiobooks down in the description below. You know what? I don't, I, I don't like to do this to people, but I think, <laughs> I think fame has changed you. Oh, no, no, no. See, I always found amusement in your suffering. Now I just have more no, ways to I make you suffer. I just feel like maybe this is the sleaziest thing you could have done to your own wife. Ah, oh, I love you. I don't love you. <laughs> what happens next? Listen, you want me to leave you with a little bit of a tidbit here just as a final, because you were asking how many of them survived. Yeah, right? how many of them survived, so Steven? Out of the initial 225, um, when everything was said and done from the operation, they had, I think, something along the lines of 75 men that were just fine, that were left at the end of the operation, along with another 150 that were wounded. Oh, what is 150 plus 75? No, no, wait, hold on. Because I don't think that adds No, up. they had 150 casualties, right, because then that's the 225. So the, they, they suffered stupidly high casualties, 
So 75 men were fine. 150 of them were either dead or wounded. So they were casualties. Okay. Because a casualty. Like, um... <laughs> but a casualty doesn't mean dead. Casualty means knocked Almost out of battle. Dead. It could be. You have severe casualties and you have just a casualty like you, they broke their foot and now they have to go back home. I would have broken my foot stepping off of the boat personally. <laughs> no, a lot of people did. Self-preservation. Oh, no, I was I was just saying I didn't want to climb up the hill. Yeah, it's the, think, Gabby, you weigh 120 pounds wet, basically. 130 pounds 130 wet. pounds wet. Now imagine on top of that, you're carrying also 50 pounds of gear. I can't lift right? 50 and pounds. And then you fall into water soaking everything. So now you probably weigh 200 pounds wet. I would drown. Welcome to the life of what happened with a bunch of people that got knocked out of their LCAs when they were trying to land ashore. Yeah. Not a good way to go. But what happened at the other point? Listen. What happened at the other point? Well, they succeeded. They took it. Now the guys from there were supposed to head back towards Point Duhok. So did they head back? Yeah. And everything went fine. They lived happily ever after at the end. Some of them. Most of them lived happily ever after. Some of them. Almost all of them lived happily ever after the end. Some of them. I'm going to have to read this whole book. You're going to have to read this whole book. Yes. I hate you. On that note, everyone, thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a good rest of your day. I have to run now before my wife kills me. Have a good rest of your day. Bye, guys. Ha 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 ha. And if you guys notice we haven't had family histories lately, it's because A, we need more sent in and B, we're trying to get everything kind of like uh, restructured for the episodes and just how the podcast runs in general with me going and having a little bit more time. I'll kind of try to make sure everything flows properly. But until then, we've also been trying to get everything recorded and prepared before going to Ireland, which we leave for at this point of recording tomorrow in less than 24 hours. We leave in 21 hours and we are not done yet. So wish us luck. Anyway, love y'all. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. And if you guys want to kill Steven, so do I. No. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.